Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only, and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who help us create resources for a diverse audience. If you're moved by our mission and find our work valuable, please consider becoming an official patron. You'll help keep the Full Bloom podcast going strong. You can do that by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 53, and our first episode of season three. Yay, we made it. Yay. As we mentioned in our last episode of season two, our theme for this season is body positive parenting in real life. We're trying to enlist your help to get your body positive parenting questions answered. So each episode will feature a listener question. And then Leslie and I will select an opposite guest that will come on, whether they're a researcher or another clinician, to help us answer that question. So we do expect to get a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more into the nitty gritty of what all this Body positive parenting looks like IRL, as they say now. Do you know that expression, IRL? Yes, I'm learning about it. (laughs) And here we are talking to one of our patrons who, um, as an exclusive bonus to our patrons, um, patrons are allowed to write in any body positive parenting question they have, and it will be featured in this season. So this is our first. Mm -hmm. Let's get right to it. This week's question is, my daughter is in middle school, and I'm wondering how I can best support her when it's so normal at her school for girls to dislike their bodies. I've been supporting and talking to her at home, but now that she's getting older, she's more influenced by peers than me. She's connected with a group of girls who take boutique fitness classes and are focused on wearing trendy athleisure brands like Lululemon. I don't want to get in the way of her ability to bond with friends and feel accepted, but I'm also so concerned about her friends' peers could impact her self-esteem and body image. So we have a lot of empathy for this question and appreciate that this mom has really been following along and, and implementing everything at home. And it's it's a real dilemma, like when our kids are getting a little bit older and developmentally appropriately getting more and more into their social world and more influenced by other forces. So to help us answer this question, we connected with Philippa Dietrichs, a professor of psychology at the Center for Appearance Research at University of the West of England. 
We sought out Philippa because she leads the research looking at factors influencing body image and developing body image interventions, advocacy efforts and campaigns, and has co-created evidence-based body image programs that have been delivered in 136 countries to over 8.5 million young people. So she's uh, pretty qualified, I'd say, yeah? Yeah, and if you've ever seen the Dove commercial of all the different women and different body sizes, which was kind of a pioneer, Mm -hmm. um, that was Philippa's work, her team's work, and really – building an evidence base behind that and, and crafting that that self-esteem project. Um, so this is the person we're talking to um, about this question. So Philippa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's really nice to talk with you both. We're so excited to share all of your work and expertise with our listeners. And before we get into that, can you just tell us and our listeners a bit about your background and the work that you do? Sure thing. So I'm a professor in psychology at the Centre for Appearance Research, which is based at the University of the West of England in Bristol in the UK, about an hour and a half west of London. And I've been working here for the past 10 years. I moved from Australia, where I did my PhD and undergraduate studies in psychology. Uh, But I've been really interested in the topic of body image for a long, long time. I gave my first presentation on the topic actually when I was 13, my first year of high school. And back then I was really interested in um, the media's representation um, or lack of representation really of diverse body sizes and the impact of the thin ideal, which I obviously didn't call it that then, on people. And so had a natural interest in that and the experiences of myself and seeing my friends grow up. And then I think what's really motivated me along the way is looking at how cultural and social forces really contribute to body image problems um, and also in more extreme ends to eating disorders. And what really drives me in this space is a um, social justice perspective and a gendered perspective. And I'm really passionate about helping girls and women in particular to uh, live the lives that they want so that they're not held back by you know, appearance, ideals and stereotypes. And so in my work, I'm a full-time researcher and work with an amazing team of researchers to look at what are the causes and consequences of body image concerns across the lifespan, but a particular focus on adolescence. But importantly then, what predicts that? So what influences how we feel about our bodies and then using those insights to develop evidence-based interventions and tools to really help um, young people and the people around them to improve their body image. And then importantly, to change some of the broader systems and um, industries that are out there that might be either contributing to the problem or potentially part of the solution. So I'd love to just get right into what you were just speaking about, these causes and consequences of low body confidence, which I know our listeners are here because they're concerned about this very thing for their children and perhaps themselves. So what are they? What have you found to be the causes and consequences of low body confidence? So not surprisingly, there's lots of different factors that influence body image. And I'm going to focus specifically on 
children and young people and adolescents, um, because that's likely most of interest to your listeners. What we commonly see is that it's a range of psychological and social factors, but also biological factors. And then, of course, there's the broader societal or macro level factors that have a role to play. At the individual level, we know that being a girl or not identifying as a boy or a man puts you at risk for experiencing body image concerns. We also know that um, there seems to be a dynamic relationship going on with a genetic predisposition and environmental factors that might predict how much someone is susceptible to appearance pressures that come in society, although that area of research is much newer. Where we have a lot of evidence is around psychological and social factors. So we know that there are three primary sources of appearance pressures that young people face, including the media, peers, and friends and also family. And these can all be sources that transmit messages about what appearance is a good appearance or how we should look and encouragement about around what we should do with our bodies. We also know though that not everyone is equally affected. So some people, you could get a group of people who are gonna be exposed to certain media images, for example, and not everyone is gonna feel the same way. And there's two psychological mechanisms that we know can influence things. That is how much we have a tendency to compare our appearance to other people and also how much we've internalised or bought into societal standards of beauty and appearance, which are very narrow typically. So if you've taken on board those standards as your own personal standards that you aspire to or that you hold other people up against, you're much more likely to experience body image concerns as a result of those societal pressures. Or equally, if you have a tendency to compare the way that you look to other people, you're also more likely to experience body image concerns. We also know, though, that there's a range of broader societal factors at play here. So I think the really appearance potent culture that we have um, that focuses on whether that's through media imagery, through advertising, but also through broader gender norms and social norms that really emphasizes a focus on appearance as a source of self-worth or the way in which you're judged in society for how attractive you are, how healthy you are, how successful you are, that also contributes. And then, of course, we have a range of industries and businesses that are looking to profit by drawing attention to appearance or sometimes by suggesting that the body is really malleable and should be changed and that you should always try and look good to feel better. So we have those broader forces as well. Then if we think more broadly, there are cultural practices that also can influence body image. So in certain cultures, there'll be a preference for certain skin tones to either be fairer or to be more tanned. And that, that is associated with class and sometimes with religion and broader social and cultural practices as well. So lots of different causes. And to answer your the second part of the question about what are the consequences of these concerns. So I think this is a really important one because sometimes body image is trivialised as, you know, maybe a, a silly issue for um, young people or for young girls specifically. But what's really clear from several decades of scientific and rigorous research is that when young people experience body image concerns, it affects them across all key areas of their lives. So we have a lot of research focusing on the psychological and physical health outcomes. So we know from prospective and longitudinal research that has tracked young people over time, that if they experience dissatisfaction with how their bodies look or experience shame around their bodies, 
they're much more likely to go on to be anxious, to be stressed, to have low mood, to engage in disordered eating practices, as well as risky drinking, substance misuse, smoking, and suicidal ideation at the extreme ends. But we also know that it can affect the way they interact um, and their aspirations in education settings and for work in future. There's some really key studies which have shown that young people, particularly girls who are concerned about the way they look, are less likely to put their hand up in the classroom to express an opinion. And also there were some large-scale studies that were done in China, Finland and the USA showing that girls' perceptions of their weight, so thinking that they're overweight irrespective of their actual body weight, they were more likely to get poorer grades. And this was at key times in their lives around 14 to 16 where grades can actually have an impact on what opportunities you have for university or for college or what you do in life. And then finally, there's some interesting research to show that Young people who have body image concerns, and particularly girls, are more likely to self-objectify. So they're more likely to see themselves from an external person's point of view as an object to be looked at. And when girls experience or young women experience self-objectification, they're actually less likely to stand up and challenge some of the oppressive systems that perpetuate these concerns. So to challenge gender inequality, for example. And that's some really important research that's been conducted by Rachel Calagero. And just one last statistic we know from um, some research that was conducted by the Dove Self-Esteem Project globally, that eight out of 10 girls who experience low body confidence opt out of important life activities, like the ones I said before, putting the hand up in the classroom, giving an opinion, but also things like trying out for a team or club, going to the doctor and going to social parties or events. So it has really wide ranging consequences. Yeah, and that maps on to what we experience clinically all the time. You know, just it's heartbreaking um, to see how on the extreme end, how little of a life someone has with extreme levels of low body image and eating disorders, you know, and that then and, and then when we're working on the recovery process, just how crushing that can be to realize that, you know, that like, who am I? Because I just spent 20 years kind of like stuck in this vortex and now now I'm 30 and I just I just don't know what I'm even into. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of the, the anecdotal experience as a clinician that I can really kind of relate to. And one of the reasons why this um, project is called the Full Bloom Project is really just that. Like we, we are also like you so passionate about girls and young women in particular, but all people, you know, not being weighed down by this, these challenges. I think that's a really good point. And obviously in your clinical experience, you'll see people who have really high levels of concerns and it's really, you know, fundamentally affected their ability to live their life and their quality of life. And equally, what I often encourage people to think about is think about the people in their lives and often particularly girls and women who have experienced body image concerns. And if you think about one person in particular and the amount of time and energy that is spent worrying about that, then you multiply that by the prevalence rates where we know that it's now more normal for girls and women to experience this than not. And we see estimates as high as 80 to 90% of adolescent girls experiencing body image concerns. So multiply all those moments of time and all that energy by the amount of girls that are experiencing it. And then imagine if that's flipped and all of that energy is channeled mm -hmm. somewhere else and what impact that could have, I think is quite profound. 
Absolutely. So jumping off, you mentioned the Dove Self-Esteem Project, which I understand you've been extremely involved in, along with many other evidence-based programs to improve body image. So to really try to help us harness back all of that energy that you just referenced. What can you tell our listeners about these programs? What have you learned from them? How do they work? Has anything surprised you? Sure. So, um, yeah, I started working with Dove and the Dove Self-Esteem Project seven years ago. As an academic, I was a little bit sceptical of working with industry back then, but have had a long-standing relationship with them now. And I'm really proud of the work that we've achieved and our team at the Centre for Appearance Research alongside Dove have achieved. So our role with the Dove Self-Esteem Project is to share a lot of the evidence base that I just spoke about with them, but help them co-create educational tools which focus on promoting positive body image among young people and then importantly conducting rigorous research to evaluate whether or not those tools are having the impact that we hope. Are they actually making measurable and tangible changes to young people's attitudes and behaviours? So where we started off with, we also work with other researchers around the world, so not just our team at the Centre for Appearance Research, but we looked at the existing evidence base for what works. And then we've taken some of those tools, adapted them for a broader audience, and then really scaled up the delivery of those to reach as many people as possible. So one example is a school-based program. We worked with Susan Paxton and Sean McLean from La Trobe University a number of years ago, alongside my colleagues, Melissa Atkinson and Kirsty Garbett, the Dove Self-Esteem Project students and teachers, Um, and education experts to take an evidence-based program to make it suitable for mixed gender audiences, for teachers to deliver it, and made some videos to make it really engaging and to develop a lesson plan basically that teachers can deliver in schools themselves. Because one of the barriers, as, as you would probably know, is that a lot of adolescents who experience mental health concerns don't actually get to engage with health professionals. And that's probably because there's a shortage of health professionals, but also geographical and financial barriers and the stigma associated with that. So we've got those tools in schools, um, workshops that are evidence-based, and we've done research to show that teachers can deliver them effectively and they lead to sustained improvements in students' body image. Um, We also worked on an amazing project with the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, which is the largest youth organisation for girls in the world. They have over 10 million girls, but importantly, they have a million adult volunteers who are really passionate about girls and give up their time to meet with girls um, regularly and, and deliver educational programs. So we, um, with Dove, established a partnership and took one of the most empirically supported body image programs for girls, The Body Project, worked with the original creators, Eric Stice and Carolyn Becker, and adapted it for the non-formal education and guiding setting and did a massive global cascade of training to support the rollout of that. And that program has since reached um, over 6 million girl guides in a hundred, over 130 countries around the world. So we had these face-to-face tools which have had a huge reach that are empirically based. What we've been doing in recent years, though, is looking at more creative ways to reach young people with these messages. So in addition to -to face-to-face workshops, how do we reach young people as they're going about their daily lives? Mm -hmm. So another cool project we worked on over the past couple of years with Dove was in partnership with Cartoon Network and Steven Universe, which is a really 
popular cartoon animated series that already had lots of positive messages around diversity and inclusion, around gender and sexual identity. And it was actually, it's the first program that was created by a female creator for Cartoon Network, Rebecca Sugar. So we developed some really brief animations that target lots of those core influences on body image that I spoke about. There's one on comparisons, there's one on body talk, there's one on media influence, and they're all available on YouTube to watch. We also developed an ebook around the Stephen Universe theme, which parents can download and personalize to their child and read with their child, which covers lots of different topics around body functionality, respecting your body, and how amazing the human body is. And now we're looking at a range of other initiatives like digital games and other ways to reach young people. But importantly, doing the research to make sure then after we've created these tools that they actually work. Yeah. I'm wondering, did um, the Body Project kind of adaptation make it to Girl Scouts of America? Yes, it did. Okay. And mm-hmm. is it ongoing or? It, they're cer- certainly available online. Okay. Um, it's been going on for a number of years now. If you look at freebeingme.com, that's where all the resources are available. Okay. And then also there's other versions of the youth leader tools um, and school tools that are freely available to download on selfesteem.dove.com. All of these tools are freely available online. No, and we, we will definitely link on our show notes because um, one of our goals in general is to give our listeners practical you know, access, right? But it sort of brings us to the theme of this season. This is the beginning of season three here on our podcast, and we're we're trying to get even deeper into like body positive parenting in real life because our goal has has always been to bridge the gap between sort of what's happening in the research and bring the knowledge and the resources to people that wouldn't have access to it ordinarily. And so as you know, like each episode now, we are featuring a, a listener question. You know, we did share with our listeners already the question, but just to put it back to you. And we don't expect you to know all the answers or to have the perfect solution to the question. We, refer, we respect that you are a researcher, you know, and, and Leslie and I are clinicians. And we just sort of want to knock around some thoughts together because this particular listener has a daughter in middle school and the mom understandably is concerned about how normal low body confidence is, particularly among her daughter's peers. And so given the work that you've done on these programs and the evidence that you know that they have. And I guess we just want to think a little bit about how could this knowledge base or these resources, if we link to, you know, give this mom this website, how can she effectively help her kid, help the community her kid is in, just even preventatively? Because it feels so related to the work that you've done. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. First of all, I think in terms of, you know, exercise classes, it really varies in terms of the instructors and the type of approach that they take and the language that they use. But actually engaging in physical activity and pleasurable movement can really be a tool to connect with your body and to show respect for your body and to develop positive body image as well. And so I think trying to understand the motivation. So if the motivations is that social connection as well as how it makes your body feel and connecting with the body, they're really positive intentions. I think what's important is to discuss and develop critical thinking skills among 
young people, which it sounds like this mother is doing really well, because essentially we're not going to be able to protect them from everything. So first of all, developing those critical thinking skills and kind of exploring the motivations behind those classes and how you feel afterwards and trying to frame movement as that source of pleasure and source of connection with the body rather than something that you need to do to discipline your body. So that's really important and and focusing on how it feels. And also from an exercise point of view, we know that when people exercise for those more internal intrinsic reasons, they're much more likely to maintain it. There is increasingly instructors who are trying to offer more body positive classes. And by body positive, I mean that are inclusive to people of different sizes and shapes that are focusing on the functionality of the body and that being the motivation rather than trying to, you know, change the outward external aspects of the body and appearance. So considering what the types of classes, I don't think you want to say no, none of them at all. But actually there's research to suggest that some activities like yoga, for example, and belly dancing and other exercises can be embodying activities. A lot of it has to do with how they're delivered and the framing around that. So finding out more about that discussing that with your child and trying to reinforce those messages about the focus on the function of the body and how your body feels and is it enjoyable for you rather than it just being about appearance is what I would suggest. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's like, I guess, also maybe a conversation about, oh, well, which instructor do you like and why? Mm -hmm. You know, some questions maybe like that to get a little more sense as to what's is the instructor attractive at all or is it just showing up with friends and doing something together and have it, and actually having fun? It's interesting. I think certain organizations have different approaches and you can tell from their advertising or the way they position what they're offering in their classes and the intentions behind them. Um, some can be very overtly focused on appearance and weight loss or that kind of mentality of fitspiration and disciplining the body, whereas others may have a more holistic approach. And you can kind of tell and then, you know, ringing up and asking a few questions, it often becomes quite obvious um, as to the type. And also looking at who the instructors are and, you know, are they just presenting the stereotype of what, you know, a fitness instructor looks like or do they have a diverse range of people delivering the classes as well? Yeah, thinking about this question kind of reminded me or made me curious about if you're seeing, we're seeing in your research at all, that kind of body improvement, participating in dieting or diet culture or wellness culture is a kind of socially acceptable way for girls and women to socialize, you know, and and are we looking at that? Are we Without a doubt, I think a lot of the research around body talk and conversations about appearance is probably quite relevant here, showing that girls and women are socialised to comment on our own appearance and other people's appearance. And that's often as a way of relating to others or showing praise or showing interest. Like, you look amazing. I wish I could be as thin as you. Oh, my God, you look great. Have you lost weight? Oh, I wish I had your thighs oh, I feel so fat today, and a variety of other comments like that, which there's a classic book, you know, about what was called Fat Talk by a sociologist called Nicta, and that research has then been done quite a lot. And looking at the reasons why, often it's a way of relating and not necessarily intentions to hurt another person, although weight-based teasing um, and appearance-based teasing certainly is. And I think that that can actually be really encouraged. And then it's also 
what is the response to challenging that and how does that then you know affect social relationships as well because there's some research suggesting that if we just ignore it that that can be worse for body image but the way in which particularly a young person goes about challenging that when it's a social norm is more complex but certainly and I think if you zoom out more broadly and look at how gendered appearance ideals are and those pressures and the disproportionate rates of girls and non-binary and transgender individuals experiencing body image concerns is much higher than boys and men or those cisgender. And I think that really speaks to the broader societal pressures where there's an emphasis to look a certain way and that pressure is higher for girls and women. I mean, and it's this particular conversation making me appreciate how hard it is to navigate the nuance in all of this because, like you said, a group of teenagers getting together to go move their bodies in a way that maybe feels good and is social and maybe is a way to connect and make friends, there is some I'm even hearing you say some protective benefits in there, right? Like, I think that actually is a really positive thing to want to engage with your body and move it. And if it's fun and if it's a social thing, then I think that that's really positive. Obviously, if it's going there to lose weight or to maintain a certain appearance ideal, if that's the motivation behind it or there's competition about you know, who can lose the most weight or who can, you know, of more kind of those outward appearance-based attributes that's problematic and depending on the instructors I think you know actually physical activity and movement and doing that in a social environment can actually be protective so I think a lot of it depends on context also there's a really amazing um this girl can campaign Mm. I don't actually know if it was broadcast in the US but it was huge in um, the UK and also in Australia and it was all about addressing girls and women getting into sport and physical activity Mm -hmm. because particularly around adolescence is often when we see a dropout of girls stopping engaging in physical activity in sport and that's often due to appearance concerns because it can be due to the outfits they're expected to wear to sweating to being uncomfortable with how their hair looks and the body being on display so I think you know it's really thinking about what are the underlying motivations for doing it do the girls feel comfortable in what they're wearing and what are some of the messages that they're getting around it because I think it's contextual and it could actually be a really positive thing yeah and the critical thinking skills Hopefully, I mean, and I understand our uh, Leslie and I are parents of very young kids, but we understand that as kids get older, they they have a, a lot more independence and a lot more to say about what you have to say. But finding ways to engage in conversations about like, like you were saying, why are you doing this so that our kids can develop a sense of their own motivation. And, you know, I think we're going to continue talking about it over the course of this season with other guests, but this sort of upside to the aspects of movement and pursuing health and this kind of wellness culture, right, that some of these opportunities or activities live in that can be fine to even beneficial and positive. And then, of course, the you know, the negative kind of underbelly of it, which is where we're, we're concerned about losing our kids into. So it's a navigation question mm-hmm. <laughs> that we'll probably be spending a lot more time trying to answer. And I think that, you know, specific question about those boutique environments in, you know, New York City, that is going to be relevant to some, but not others. You know, it's balancing out that with other things like going for a walk in the park or doing other forms of movement, not just in those settings of those types of classes, because, 
sometimes depending on the organization or the business there can be a lot of other products that are sold alongside of that um, to kind of capitalize you know certain drinks and cleansing things and you know whatever else that can be problematic so it's also assessing those messages and so I think having those conversations is really important and then in saying that like I think you really raised the point you know for adolescents in particular they are going to listen to parents to an extent but are heavily influenced starting to look elsewhere for shaping their own opinions and so I think we focused a lot on talking about what an individual parent can do with their individual daughter, but then it would also be looking at, okay, well, how do we make systemic changes more broadly? One of the things that's changed with social media, although people talk a lot about how it can be a negative influence on people, is actually we now have, all have a tool for activism um, or a weapon for activism in our back pocket where we have a direct conversation with industry and brands and companies and businesses who are doing things that we think may be particularly problematic. And, you know, I think there are some boutique fitness and wellness brands that supposedly are, uh, you know, promoting this message, but then they're only presenting a thin white woman doing that activity, for example, or they're only producing clothes that go up to a certain size. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do we start to challenge that and um, make sure that everybody has access to that or feels represented or is encouraged? Yeah, which we could probably do a whole other podcast (laughs) with you on that because I know the center is working on that as well. But today we're going to end with our million-dollar question, which is if each parent listening to this podcast took away and did one thing on the regular, what's the one thing you would recommend they do to help their child fully bloom? I would actually um, say to focus on developing a positive relationship with your own body and trying to accept and respect and value your own body because by doing that you will naturally model those behaviors and attitudes to your children and I think it's a really challenging thing to do I'm not going to suggest it's easy because parents have also grown up uh, with all those appearance pressures as well but I think starting to appreciate the functionality of your body is a good place to start and showing gratitude for what your body allows you to do and so that could be your senses it could be movement it could be a whole range of things and a practice of a colleague of mine dr jessica oliva from maastricht university she developed an amazing program and it was just a simple writing exercise of having women write for 10 minutes a day over several times over a couple of weeks about what they are grateful for of what their body can do rather than how it looks is a really powerful way to do that. And you could do that um, on your phone. You could speak out loud um, or even just mentally do it, have taking those moments to focus on appreciating your body for what it allows you to do um, and how it's got you through life. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll, we'll find a way to get that exercise to our listeners too, because that would be wonderful if everyone listening could commit to that exercise. Practice. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we really look forward to sharing this conversation with our listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. And please, as we mentioned, consider becoming a patron of our podcast by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon so that we can continue producing and delivering this content to you. 
Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom.